Good morning. It's an awesome song. Before we get into our lesson today, though, I'd like to uh, ask you guys to join me, um, my faith, and praying for our son Benjamin. There's a issue that has taken place a couple of days ago. He contacted us and uh, he has uh, hurt his foot pretty severely somehow. And something, uh, they call it cellulitis, has gotten involved with it. He couldn't walk on it. And the toughest thing is for him to stay back in the barracks when uh, they're in special training, when all of his guys under him having to be out in the field and all this special training and all. But um, so they're treating him, and it's been extremely painful. And uh, there's the potential they're telling him to have to do surgery on it. And you know, I just know that God can help us in our times of need, don't you? So I'd like you to pray with me, just for like a 20 seconds or something. And if you're the person who who is just more fearful about it and thinking the world's coming to an end, please don't pray, okay? But if you're faith-filled and you believe that God can do something for me, help him, well, you join me, okay? All right. Well, Father, we just lift Benjamin to you. And we ask that you would heal him and that you would give wisdom to those who are caring for him right now and just cause all that bacterial infection that's in his foot to be gone and restore his foot to perfect health so he can get on with what you have called him to do. Bless him, Father, and draw him and all those around him closer to you. We commit him to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. That means a whole lot to me. It really does. Um, you know, we started uh, two weeks ago talking about called, and that's what you see the soldier up here. You know, and God has called each and every one of us to something. He genuinely has, and hopefully today you will discover what that is more clearly than you ever have before. But that song, here is the, the gist of that song. This is the title of it, really, too. It says, Let Them as a Prayer. Colton Dixon, he said, he's talking to the Father, he says, let them, the people around me, see you and me. What a prayer that would be if we prayed that minute on a daily basis. Let them hear you when I speak. Let them feel you when I sing. So powerful, powerful. Now, you might not like that guy's haircut. I've been thinking about getting one just like it, though, just so you know. <laughs> I might have some problems making it stand up, you know, there. But uh, just show you how God uses people. You know, if this guy is a, a Christian, been a Christian, you know, most of all of his life. He went to a Christian school, and they told him in the Christian school, they said, because his hair was a little long over his ears, that you can't have you get your hair has to be above your ears. So he said, okay. So he went up with it. I like that. You know, he, he used. They wish they hadn't have said that after that. You know. And he went, uh, his ministry started on American Idol. He went there for his sister. His sister was going to audition, and he waited through the night at the door and all that stuff. And when he finally got in, they convinced him, well, you try out too. You've been waiting all this time. So, and uh, he's made it, I think, like to the third position or something. Then the next year, he went. He didn't even go in the building. He, he went with his sister. And they forced him. You go ahead and get him and bring him in. 
He didn't ever want to go, but it, it, was, it was a God thing. He never even sang until he was like 14. He was a musician. He could play a little bit. And uh, when he would sing, he only sang Christian songs on the secular program, American Idol. He sang worship songs, heart-touching songs, and, and God used him. And everybody got to know him, even though he was not the winner of it. God used him. What's God called you to? You think about this for a moment. You know, let them see. It's a prayer. Let, let them, the people in my sphere of influence, let them see you, Lord. In me. What a prayer to pray. You know, uh, an old fisherman I was reading about, very successful fisherman, when he went fishing, he brought fish home. <clears throat> and he said, There are three basic rules for trout fishing. Three basic rules. And uh, it's no use going fishing if you don't follow these three basic rules. And he's pretty smart about it. First rule was, Keep yourself out of sight. Now, it might be hard to believe, but there's times when I take my fly rod out to a stream and I'm wearing camouflage and I'm down behind the bushes so they don't see me. It's like, yeah, keep yourself out of sight. Second rule is use the right kind of bait. If you're going to take a day off work and invest all the time and energy to go fishing, you better use the best bait you can use. Don't you? Oh, they had this discounted because nobody wanted it because it was so terrible. But I got it for like a nickel apiece. It's like, huh? You, you, you get the best bait that you can use when you go fishing, you know? And then the third thing was have patience. Have patience. Now, the Bible says. Jesus says that we are fishermen, we are fishers of men. And the same principle that works for catching trout works for catching men. Keep out of sight yourself. The prayer that he was talking about is to let them see you in me. May they not so much see me, but may they see Christ in me. And use the right bait. You know what the right bait is? The gospel. And what does the gospel mean? Good news. Some churches have a bunch of rules and regulations, and you can't do this, and you can't do that, and you have to do this, and you have to do that, and you can't do this, and a whole bunch of rules and regulations. Does that really attract a lot of people? I don't think so. Now, if, if someone says, hey, would you, could you give me some wisdom on this? You share the whole, everything, you know. But Jesus said, go share the good news that I forgive you, I love you, I care about you. I'll give you another chance. My mercy, my grace is going to be there for you. That's the bait if you're going to be a fisher of men. And then be what? Patient. patient. Are you ever impatient? I said, are you ever impatient? <laughs> Some of you said, he's acting just like me. <laughs> be patient. God is patient with you, is he not? He's real patient with us. So let's just be patient with other people. And we have called to be a fisher of men. We, all of us have. You know, God didn't just create us so we can just float through this life and try to enjoy every pleasure. Oh, this life is fantastic. 
and we can tap into the abundant life that Christ has provided for us, and it's wonderful. Ain't nothing compared to what he's got in store for us on the other side, but he's called you for a purpose, a noble purpose. He genuinely has. So I'd like to read to you um, Acts chapter 20. We started this three weeks ago, and I was out of town last week, and, and Mike did a good job. He shared with y'all. But I want to pick up here on called. And it says here in Acts 20, verse 24, it says, but my life, the apostle says, but my life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. His assignment for you, it satisfies and it fulfills you. Otherwise, we're pursuing just whatever pleasures in life and they're elusive. They don't satisfy and don't, they don't fulfill us. And, and the satisfaction is elusive. It's just right out of our grip, right out of our grasp. But I want to tell you, when you seek first God and his kingdom, to advance his kingdom, he says all these things will be added to you. They come looking for you. Goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. The blessings that will satisfy and fulfill you, they come looking for you when you put God in his kingdom first above everything else. That's what Jesus said. Let me read this verse one more time. He says, but my life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. And then he qualifies that. He says, the work of telling others the good news about God's wonderful kindness and love. We have all been called to share the good news that God loves you, that God forgives you, that God gives you another chance. Not a second chance, because we know we've all used that up a long time ago, but he gives us another chance. He genuinely does. You know, Watchman Nee, this oriental guy, uh, an author, he, have profound insight into things. He, he made this statement. He said, I've never met a person who set out to satisfy the Lord and who has not been satisfied himself. You put God first in his kingdom and you will be satisfied. All the things that you want in life, they come looking for you when you put God first. That's just the way it is. Now, let me talk to you just a little bit about... Uh, extroverts and introverts you know an extrovert is someone you know they're they, they love people they're the outward you know and and all uh an introvert is someone who's just kind of quiet and you know just kind of closed in and things like that you know what i'm talking about and you can think about who you are now what do you think i am <laughs> if the truth was to be made known and I'm not exaggerating or teasing. I am an introvert. I really am. That's why I like sitting up in a deer stand in a tree by myself. I do. Watching the deer come by and I'm sitting there reading my Bible and I'm making communications with folks. And that, after the weekend surfaces, that's how I like kind of going home and chilling out and maybe I'll read something. That's who I am. You people scare me. I'm telling you the truth. You don't know how much courage it takes for me to get up here in front of you guys. You're scary. 
But you know what God will do? And if, I'm not teasing when I say this. God will use anybody and accomplish anything when you know I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And my natural tendency is introvert. But God in his infinite mercy, when I surrendered and poured myself out, he fills me up with himself. And so I know, I know my weaknesses. And I know anything good ever come from this pulpit, it was a miracle. It was almighty God. And I know how God can use every one of us in this room. When he's called us, he equips us and he empowers us to get her done, whatever it might be. And I'm being sincere with you. Now, on the other hand, my wife, she's an extrovert. You know, we go home at the end of the day, she's been invited to a birthday party or a gathering or this or that. She wants to go to them all. <laughs> and I said, honey, enjoy the day. I'm going to sit here and read my book. <laughs> you know. But God put us together, and it's just absolutely amazing. And he will use us. However he created us, he will use us, and he will help us to get out of our comfort zone to accomplish what he wants us to do. That's just, that's just the truth of, of what he's done in us anyhow. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 26, it says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the, in the world's eyes or powerful, or wealthy, when God called you. Now, the truth of it is, you may have become wise, or powerful, or wealthy after the fact. But he says, few, God didn't just look around, let me, let me find the wisest people, let me find the most powerful, let me find the most wealthiest people. Now, few like that, God, God, didn't, God didn't look for that. He looked for the people. Well, let me just read the rest of the verse. Verse 27, it says, instead... God deliberately, deliberately chose things that the world considers foolish. And when it says things, he's he's greatly implying people. When you read in other translations, God deliberately chose things and people that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're so smart, who think they're wise. And he chose those who are powerless to shame those who are powerful. Now, David, y'all remember David in the Bible? He was called. He was called by God. David did not have professional warrior training at all. He was a shepherd boy. But this shepherd boy was faithful to God. He was faithful to his daddy. That was his credentials. When the prophet came looking to anoint a king to Jesse's house, that was David's daddy's name, he went through all of Jesse's sons, and there was a bunch of them, from real big, tall, and sent all the way down, and it's just like, well, is this all your son? Ah, we got enough. He's the run of the bunch. He's out taking care of the sheep. He don't really amount to much. And the prophet said, that's the one that God wants. I am telling you that God's looking for those who recognize their own weakness, who are insecure in just their own selves because it forces us to depend upon Almighty God. And that's a good place to be. It really is. So David was called by God. You know, he's faithful to God, faithful to his daddy, and he had a slingshot, and he knew how to use it. He was a shepherd boy. You know why they would use a sling? You know, 
the, the sheep would start kind of straying away. He'd put a big old rock in there and sling that thing and throw it past the sheep. Boom, boom, boom. On the other, and the sheep would run back towards you. And then they would hit a wolf or scare a wolf off or kill a wolf with it or whatever. But a sling was something that he was very familiar with, you know. That's what he had. And David, he took down the biggest, the meanest, the scariest, the most vile, profane, and powerful, vulgar, the, the, the highest trained warrior and killer that anybody had ever known. His name was Goliath. And David took him out with what? Two little strips of leather with a leather pocket and a stone. All the other warriors, with all their weapons and, and uh, armor, they were hiding in the rocks, and David went out there with passion because he had learned to use what was in his hand. And God basically said that today. David, what you got in your hand? I got a slingshot. Well, that's good enough. Now, I want you all, if you would take just a moment and look at your hand. Now, hear what God's saying. God's saying, what you got in your hand? What's in your hand? What can you do? When I, I, I talk about a topic like this, about being called to serve God, a lot of people automatically start thinking about, well, I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I don't have this, and I don't have that, and I don't have the education that so-and-so has, and I don't have the skill and the talent to what other people have, and, and they tell me all what they don't have. But God is saying, what do you have? What do you have in your hand? Well, let me go on to verse 28 here. Verse 28 in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, God chose things and people despised by the world. <laughs> things counted as nothing at all. The nobodies. You ain't nobody and you'll never amount to anything. <laughs> that's, God goes, oh, who are you talking about? Oh, that's the person I want. <laughs> God specializes and uses the weak and the foolish things of this world. That's what he tells us. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. God asked Moses, said, Moses, what you got in your hand? It's just a staff, because he was tending sheep out in the wilderness. Just a staff, we're going to throw it down. Turn into a great big snake, you remember? And you remember when he went to Pharaoh, when he said, God told me to come and tell you to let my people go, and, and uh, he threw his snake down. Well, the magicians tried to do something, and whether it was just a sleight of hand, they got a snake out there. Moses' snake ate up all the other ones. And then he picked it back up, and it turned into a staff, his stick again. Well, I just got a stick in my hand. But God used that stick when he held it out over the Red Sea, and it opened up. When all the miracles happened, he held out that stick. Well, I'm asking you, what do you have in your hand? Don't tell me what you don't have and don't say what you so-and-so has. And don't tell me that, but what do you have? You think about that for a moment. You remember a little uh, incident where Jesus was preaching to 5,000 men? They also had their wives with them. And they didn't count those at the time. And they also had all their children with them. So I figure it's probably around 15,000 people. And they've been listening to Jesus preach all day long. And Jesus said, I don't want to really send them home. You know, they hadn't had anything to eat. I don't want to send them home famished. 
So he told the disciples, have them sit down, let's feed them. They had nothing to feed them. There was a little boy. What did he have in his hand? Five loaves of bread, two small fish. And Jesus took those things. Instead of complaining, oh, this is such a little amount. What can He thanked the Lord. Thank you, Father, for this bread and this fish. And he broke them. And he kept breaking it. And he fed 5,000 men plus their wives and plus their children. And after everybody had eaten all they wanted, they picked up 12 big baskets of leftovers. God used that boy because the boy used what was in his hand and he gave it to God. And Jesus was thankful, not complaining about that. And you remember a, a girl we read about in the Bible who's called Esther? Esther was uh, an orphan girl. Her uncle was given oversight to her. And, and the king's wife was a rebel, Vashti. She wouldn't come in and see him, and she just rebelled against him enough, and he banished her never to see his face again. And his leader said, well, you need to look out amongst our nation. The thousands of pretty young virgins here and pick a new, new queen. And, and uh, Esther tried to hide from all this. But anyhow, in the midst of it, they caught her, and they spent a time of purification. And it just happened to be that the king fell in love with Esther. What did Esther have in her hand? She had a position of influence. Some of you have influence with certain people. And Esther almost did not use her influence. If she had not used her influence the entire Jewish nation would have been wiped off the, the face of the earth. But she used her position of influence in such an evil time and it spared the whole nation of Israel. You think about that. What do you have in your hand? Food? Bread and fish? What, what do you have in your hand? Do you have a, a position of influence in a certain particular group of people? You know? What did Joseph have in his hand? He had management skills. You know, his brother sold him into slavery down in Egypt, knowing that he'd die, you know, as a slave in a year or so. He was sold to Potiphar, and in Potiphar's household, he had management skills. And he used his management skills, and Potiphar said, man, you're the best thing since sliced bread, man. You are over my whole household. You run everything. Through some events, we won't go into all the details of those right now, but he got put in prison. It didn't take long before the prison guard said, Joseph, you are awesome. And Joseph ran to prison. And before you knew it, through a turn of events directed by God, Joseph ended up in Pharaoh's own household, and he ran the entire nation of Egypt because he had some management skills and a heart to serve. That's all he had. And God raised him up, and God has called you and me for a noble purpose. And he's just saying, what do you have in your hand? You got some management skills? You got a position of influence with certain people? What has God put in your hand? He didn't just put you here just to kind of float through life nebulously. He called you for a purpose. And he has a purpose for you. Um, what was that strong man in the Bible's name? Samson. On one occasion, if you'll remember, there was a battle, an army coming against him, and he reached out and grabbed a hold of a, 
a jawbone of a, a donkey. And he killed thousands of the enemy with the jawbone. Not a fine, highly tuned, you know, weapon of war, but the jawbone of a donkey. What is in your hand? What skills, what talents do you have? Does anybody remember the name Harriet Beecher Stowe? Her daddy was an awesome preacher. Her brothers were all preachers. I don't know about them as well as I know about their dad. But Harriet Beecher Stowe, back in those days, they did not allow the women to preach and teach. What was in her hand? A pen. Does anybody know what the, the, one of the most famous books that she wrote was? Uncle Tom's Cabin. And if you've never read that book, I challenge you to read Uncle Tom's Cabin. Because Abraham Lincoln did, and it inspired him to proclaim the Emancipation Proclamation that set all the slaves free. She couldn't preach and teach publicly, but she wrote a book that surpassed all the things that her brothers did. What's in your hand? Is it a pen and just a little ability to put your thoughts on paper? What is in your hand? What does God want to do in you? There's a guy by the name of George Washington Carver. Do you remember what he had in his hand? A peanut. When the South was dying because the boll weevil took over the South and was destroying all the cotton, George Washington Carver discovered, based on God, directed him to the hundreds of things you could do with the peanut in a peanut oil. And you wouldn't believe some of the things that peanuts are used for in this day and time. What's in your hand? Think about this right here. Uh, what was that other guy's name? Johnny Appleseed. What do you have in his hand? Apple seeds. How many of y'all like apples? Imagine this for just a moment. Because you weren't too excited when I said apple. Don't you think of a hot, steamy apple pie with a great big triple scoop of vanilla bean Briar's ice cream on top? I haven't had anything to eat, and it's gluten-free crust too. Okay, <laughs> Woo-hoo. If you know how to cook an apple pie and put some vanilla ice cream on it, you got a ministry. You know that. Because anybody will listen to you share the good news as they eat a slice of your pie. You know what I'm talking about? You can come minister to me today. (laughs) What did Benjamin Franklin have in his hand? Oh, lots of things but a kite. He discovered what God had already put there, electricity, but he discovered it, and after that discovery, they were able to harness it, and Lord have mercy... We use the illumination and electricity unbelievable amounts today. What do you have in your hand? What has God deposited there for you? Think about this. You remember there was a widow, and all she had was a bunch of empty vessels. Empty, not full. The prophet said, well, you go and borrow as many as you can. And she had... And she started pouring a little bit of oil. And before you know it, she filled up every vessel in her home with olive oil and sold it. Paid off all her 
debts in her business. And there was another uh, widow. She, uh, she was given in an offering. How much was that she had? It was actually less than a penny. It was two mites, I think it was. And that's all she had. It's like, well, how can God use something so foolish, so, you know, so poor? So that was all that she had. Her life of giving all that she had has probably inspired more millions and millions and millions of dollars that support God's kingdom and orphans and missions in this world than anything else because she had what was in her hand and she gave it to God. And when you and I say, well, this is what I got. It ain't much. It's just a slingshot. God goes, I can use a slingshot. I can use those who can make an apple pie. I can use those. What do you have in your hand? And never again start telling us about, well, I don't play and I don't do and I can't speak and I can't do and I can't. Don't go there. The question is, what can you do? The position of influence, the, the, the gift that God has put in your hand, what is it? Because that's what he wants you to use. Well, let's go on back to verse 29. Verse 29 says, well, let me read verse 28. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. Verse 29 says, so that no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Look what I did. 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 You want to boast? You go, let me tell you about what God did. Let me tell you what God has done. Let me tell you about the love and the mercy and the forgiveness of Almighty God, the provisions that he has made. You want to boast? Boast about God because he is the giver of life and he can take it just that quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse uh, 17, it says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become, which means has turned into, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, a new person. The old life, the old life is gone. Oh, here, let me uh, show you something. Can y'all see that? Your, your eyesight's about like mine, I reckon. Can anybody see it? What's it say? My sin. Can you read all those little things there? I wrote it. That's my sins, Okay. There it is. Mm-hmm. Ouch. Whoops. Oh, piece of me get burned up. And just in case you think you can look at those ashes and see what my sins are. (laughs) What happened? They're gone. You understand that? Gone? You will never know what I wrote on that piece of paper. Ever. 
Now, I did that because I wanted you to understand this word. It says here in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, anyone who belongs to Christ, because you surrendered your life to him, has become, has turned into a new person. The old life is what? It's gone. You understand gone? It's gone. It's washed away. Never, ever, ever, ever to be seen again. It's gone. And he says here, the old life is gone. And, and a picture of ugly old brown, black cocoon hanging from a tree. The top is opened up. It's empty and it's hollow. There's nothing there. What was in it is, is, is gone. The, the old grubby little old caterpillar that just crawled right on the ground, he's gone. There has been a transformation that has taken place. It says the old life is gone. A new life has begun. It's like that grubby old worm that went in there, when he came, there wasn't a worm come out of there. It was this beautiful, there was a, a new creature, a new creation, this butterfly, most beautiful thing. Now I need one volunteer standing right here when I come back out of this room. I promise not to hurt you. Thank you. I was getting nervous. Okay. Okay, I want you to hold that. What is that? $20 bill. Now, all I wanted to do was to give away $20, and I needed somebody who would take it and not try to give it back. Will you be that person? Sure. Give her a grand applause, okay? <laughs> you can go sit back down for right now. Now, that was super important to me. You know, the guy last night, you know what? Next time you'll step up quicker. It might be a hundred dollar bill, you know? <laughs> but let me read you this. We just read the old life is gone. The new life has begun. And it says in verse 18, all of this is a what? Gift from God. Sometimes the guy I gave $20 to last night in the service, it was a, I, we had to talk and talk and talk. He wanted to give it back. He didn't want to take it. You know, he felt bad. He felt like he needed to earn. He had to, need to do something. You know what I'm saying? And that's the way we are sometimes. It's hard for us to humble ourselves and just to receive something. But if we can't learn to receive, you can't get forgiven. You can't go to heaven. And it says right here, it says the old life has gone. A new life has begun. And all of this forgiveness and transformation and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. He brought us back to himself. Now, could you help me again? Okay, come on back up here. Forgot I needed somebody else to help me. Okay. Okay. Okay, this is us and our relationship with God. But because of sin, our relationship with God has been broken. Okay? Now I want you to hold that for me. Hold it just this way. You got it? All right. Now, what we want to do is we want to restore your relationship with God. Now, here's God and there's you, okay? Now, you hold it and just put it back together. You know, it's really not that complicated. What's it? No, 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 no. Okay. What's going on here? It's, um, it, would, you say, would you say it's almost impossible yes. to put it together? It is. And she's really trying to. 
So, so what happens, what we need to do is what the Bible talks about is to repent, to repent, which just means change direction. So I want you to change the directions. And what happens? See, when we turn around, there's restoration that takes place. And that's all we have to do is be willing to change our direction. Thank you. Give her another applause. Thank you so much. Now, just so you know, I went down to Harbor Freight, and I picked up, I think I had to get four of these tubes of magnets. They're like a couple bucks a piece to get enough magnets to do that with. It's a pretty good illustration, though, don't you think? When you can talk about our relationship with God has been broken, and it's just like, honest to goodness, you cannot put those back together. There is such power in that magnet. You, you, you cannot. But if we're willing to change our direction, and you know, repentance, all that repentance means is to change our direction. We're still in the exact same location we were before, but we're going in a different direction now, and there's restoration that takes place. So I'm just going to put that right there so I don't lose it. Okay. So, see, what verse was I at? Oh, verse 18, it says, and all of this is a gift from God. You know, the, the new person, the, 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 the old life is gone. You know, new life has begun there. All of this is a gift from God who has brought us back because we're willing to change our direction, has brought us back to himself in Christ. And God has given us, what's that next word say? The what? The task. We are all part of God's task force. And it says God has given us this task, this, this assignment, this mission, this charge. And the last time I preached a couple weeks ago, I shared with you a poem. <clears throat> and I'd like to share that poem again with you. And it says, a charge to keep and understand a task, an assignment, a mission, a charge is all the same thing. So it says, a charge to keep, a mission to keep, an assignment to keep, I have. A God to glorify. The word glorify just means to honor. A charge to keep, I have. A God to glorify. A never dying soul to save. Did you know that everybody has eternal life? You will just choose where you spend it, in heaven or hell. Once you've been brought into this world, you will live forever in heaven or hell. You will make that choice where you will spend eternity. And the poem says, a charge to keep, I have, and a God to glorify, and a never-dying soul to save. I want to reach the souls of men, women, boys, and girls and to fit it for the sky. How can I prepare those souls to make sure they make it to the sky, to heaven? Listen to what it says in John 14. Jesus is talking, John 14, verse 6. Jesus told him, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, not one, no one can come to the Father in heaven, except through me. Jesus is the only door. It's not up for debate. If you had a house with only one door in it, you go, well, I'm going to go out another door. Well, there ain't another door. Well, there's got to be another door, and I build it with just one door in it. Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. It's only through him. There are not many doors. Jesus is the only sinless one who died in our place and made provision for you and I to make it to heaven. In John 3, and, and if you haven't read it recently, I would challenge you to read 
Just that chapter. It's a small chapter. It's profound. It's a powerful chapter. John 3, for a day is over. And it says here in John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening, after dark, and this is secretive. He didn't want people seeing him going. And after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you. I mean, he's, he's really commending Christ and acknowledging. So we all know that God sent you to teach us, and, and your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus cut through everything and told him what was most important. Jesus' response to that was, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You, you can't even see it, much less go there. That was Jesus' response to him saying, we know that God sent you. All the miracles, we know God sent you here to teach us. And Jesus' response was, I tell you the truth, Nicodemus, verse 3, unless you are born again, and you're one of the religious leaders, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 4, what do you mean? This is Nicodemus asking, what do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you. So Nicodemus here, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water. Now, let me ask you here. All of you can answer this question, but especially moms. What is one of the telltale signs that that baby is getting ready to be born? The water breaks. Not contractions, not the time limit, not a day, but when your water breaks, you know that baby ain't going to be long before he comes. That's, you understand that. And here, listen to what he said. What verse was I at? Five. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water. It's talking about a natural birth. Natural birth. The water breaks, here you come. Without being born of water and the Spirit. Talking about being born, being born again is being born of the Spirit, you see. It's a spiritual thing that takes place. So you're born twice. You're born natural birth, and then you've got to be born of the Spirit. Now, in verse 6... He goes on to say, Jesus goes on to say, humans can reproduce only human life. You cannot produce a person who has eternal life. They've got to accept Christ. They have to be born again also. He said, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. If, and we see a, a profound, powerful thing take place when the Holy Spirit came over Mary. As a virgin, she conceived a child. Gave birth. What was his name? Jesus, the Son of God. So we can be born of the Spirit. Not just natural birth, but born again. So then Jesus goes on to tell Nicodemus in verse 7, he says, So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So... You can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. You've got to trust God. It takes faith. You've got to believe what he says. Verse 9 says, 
How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. How is this possible? He's hearing it for the first time. Verse 10, Jesus replied, You are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? A little bit of a reprimand there, you know. For the sake of time, let's go to verse 14. It says, And as Moses lifted up a bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, and I don't know if you remember that, he was leading a couple million people out of the, the bondages of Egypt, and they were out in a wilderness place, and there were snakes everywhere under every rock, and people were getting bitten, and they were highly venomous, deadly snakes. When they were getting bit, they were keeling over, and God told Moses to make a, a, a bronze snake, put it on the tallest pole you guys have got, and lift it up as high as you can in the camp. Anybody who gets bit by those terribly venomous serpents, when you get bit, all you have to do is look at that bronze serpent on that pole. Some people go, baloney, what good's that going to do? And they kill over and they die. But the people who got bitten, they looked at it, the venom lost its power. And until this day, you look at all hospitals, you look at a doctor's medical card, you look at all the medical journals, what do they have on it? That bronze serpent coiled around a pole. It's a symbol of healing because they believed it. And listen to what the scripture tells us. Verse 14. He's talking to Nicodemus here. As Moses lifted up a bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, talking about himself, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Was Jesus lifted up? He was lifted up on a cross. And though all of us have been bitten by sin, it affects us. The wages of sin is death. But when we look to Christ, it might seem kind of foolish, but when we look to Christ, the sin loses its power. And he says right here, as Moses was lifted up, as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Verse 15, so that everyone who believes in him, he who was lifted up on the cross, will have eternal life. And the most familiar verse in the whole Bible is John 3, the next verse we're going to read, 16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Let me read the poem again and finish that poem. A charge, so I'm going to task, an assignment, a mission. A charge to keep I have, a God to glorify, a never-dying soul to save and to fit it for the sky, to serve the present age, that's talking about our generation, to serve this present age, my calling, my mission, my task, to fulfill. Oh, may it all my powers engage. All that God has given me is in my hand, Oh, may it all my powers engage to do my master's will. Let me pick back up at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, and it says, And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ, and God has given us this task of reconciling, which it means to resolve. It means to uh, reunite, to patch up, to bring together. God has given us this task of reconciling people to him.
How many of you know a person who is not in a right relationship with God? How will they ever be brought into a right relationship with God? If they see him in you. Verse 19 says, For God was in Christ reconciling, bringing together the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against him. Now we do that sometimes, don't we? You did what? Oh, I remember you did that three years ago. Yeah? You got somebody's counting up all your sins? Well, it ain't God. God does not do that. And he says here in, in, in verse 19, no longer counting people's sins against him. God is not mad at you. We need to understand that. He forgives you because he loves you. He wants to spend eternity with you. And it says, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation to rescue those from sin and death. He's given us the message of reconciliation. He's given us this message to bring people back to him. In right relation, verse 20 goes on to say, so we are Christ, what's that say? Ambassador, a special agent. We are Christ's ambassador, the special agent, a mediator, a negotiator, if you would, a messenger, an emissary, a representative of Christ Jesus. So we are Christ's ambassadors, and God is making his appeal to the whole world. What's the next two words say? Through us. God is making his appeal to all the men, women, boys and girls on the planet. He's making his appeal to give the good news that I've forgiven you, I love you, come back to me. He's making his appeal to the world through you. And what's in your hand? Your position of influence? That slingshot? That apple pie that you can make? Woo-hoo. He's using what's in your hand to influence the people who's in your sphere of influence. And he says here, and if I can find where I was at again, verse 20. So we are Christ's ambassadors, and God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God, you know? Come back to God. You can try, you just got to change your direction. Come back to God. Come back to God. And we, we challenge people. Come back to God. Verse 21 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins. Jesus was our whipping boy, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. We represent Jesus. And we represent heaven. Now, one final thing. Oh, I forgot my bag. don't kneel on these things okay that hurts I know okay when you as a mom talk to your son or your daughter or you as a a fellow worker you talk to one of your friends at work about Christ what you're basically doing is this. You see that? And then maybe somebody else comes along and they share the gospel. There's a little tap there. 
And maybe they go to church and they hear something. There's a little tap there. And maybe they're driving down the road and the station changes on the radio and all of a sudden they hear a gospel presentation and there's a little tap there. And these taps may go on for a long time. And then one day, someone is talking to them and it's a real serious tap that takes place. And, oops, that wasn't supposed to happen. Hold on. Okay. Bend that thing over. Now it's been driven home. That person came to know Christ. But when you share a little bit, maybe, maybe you prayed over your meal, and someone said, wow, that was a nice, thoughtful thing to do. And said, so, well, Christ means a whole lot. To, uh, every little tap that we make, we've been called. You may not be the one who prays with them to accept Christ. And when you do pray with someone to accept Christ, don't think you did at all. Even me, I get the privilege of praying with a lot of people to accept Jesus as their Savior. But I know I just made a little tap. There's mamas and daddies and uncles and aunts and brothers and sisters and fellow workers and neighbors been doing little taps for years and years and years and driving that point home. And I had the privilege just to make the last tap. Does that make sense? Now, don't forget this, that the ushers are going to be there at the door to give you one of these highly, highly special expensive nails, okay? <laughs> and you put it where you can remember on a daily basis to do your little tap, okay? Now, I know we're getting away from our time factor here, but give me just a couple more minutes. I want to play you a song, and then we're going to close. Now, what is the number one thing, the number one word that hinders us from sharing our faith with somebody. What's that word? Fear. Fear. Now I want you all to do this one time. Awesome. You can do it. We need to be brave because it will make an eternal difference in people's lives when we recognize we have been called to do our little tap with what's in my hand. Maybe it's a hammer. Maybe it's a slingshot. Maybe it's making that apple pie. I tell you, it's 12.23, and that apple pie and ice cream is looking so good right now. You say, well, that's all I can do is make apple pies. You have a position in ministry. Maybe you got a pen, whatever it is. But let's listen to this song, and then uh, we'll close with a word of prayer.
You know, if you do a study on the word grace, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing, it's fantastic. If you look in the original words, grace is best described, and God's love is best described. If you stand at the ocean, as one wave comes in, what follows it? There's always another wave. There's always another wave of God's grace and his mercy and his love that comes our way. You will never see the waves of God's grace and mercy ever stand still. There's always another wave of his grace that washes over us. And then I can't help but to think about it when Jesus, you remember he called Peter and Jesus was walking on the water and he called Peter and what did he tell Peter to do? Come, come. And you and I, what's in our hand? And God has called us. He's called us to be fishers of men. Kind of stay out of sight. Use the right bait, the good news, and be patient. To let the world that we know, that are around about us, to know about the goodness and the love and the mercy of God. There are many a people who would accept Christ if they only knew. They've got the wrong concept of him. They think he's in heaven. He's mad at them because they've done some things. And they think he's ready to make something bad happen to them because of that. And that's not God. God loves us. And he wants to forgive us and love us and have relationship with us, with you. And you and I have been called to partner with God. We have a purpose. We have an assignment so I want you to think about this today and tomorrow, this week. What's in your hand? What is it that God has gifted you? you know, well, God can never use that. Oh, yes, he can. Yes, he can. Can God use somebody who can make an apple pie? <laughs> Absolutely. And whatever else your skill is, God wants to use you. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for these men and women who are so gifted and talented in so many ways. I ask that you deliver us from the deception of feeling like we can't make a difference. Help us to get out of our comfort zone as we pour ourselves out, as I pour myself out, that you would fill us up and give us the confidence that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Work a miracle in us and may we change this world in which we live. And bring men and women, boys and girls, back into a proper relationship with you. As our heads are bowed, I'd ask you to reaffirm your faith in Christ with me right now. And those who are here today who don't know Jesus as their personal Savior, would you join us as we pray and let him come in and forgive you and change your life around? Would you pray with me right now? Dear Heavenly Father, I believe you love me. That's why you sent your son Jesus. I believe he died in my place and that he rose from the dead. I believe that Jesus is knocking at the door of my heart and I open wide that door and I welcome Jesus into my life as my Savior, as my Lord, and as my King. Help me, almighty God, to represent you well. In Jesus' name. If you have some needs today, there'll be people over here who would love to pray with you. If you prayed and accepted Christ as your Savior a few moments ago, 
Stop at the Connections desk. They got a gift bag. It's got a Bible and some other things in there that will inspire your faith. If you're a guest, let them know how I'm a guest today. We've got a nice gift for you just to say, hey, thank you for coming. We hope you come back. We'll continue along this theme next week. And greet one another on your way out. And ushers, don't forget to give them their very highly expensive silver nail. You are dismissed. weekly challenges my prayer each day this week will be let them see you in me so if you agree with that your prayer every day this week is going father let them see you in me if you agree with that check it off drop it in the tie box now you are officially dismissed